0: Did you know that Medicaid enrollment grew by a whopping 28% during the pandemic? You would if you listened to Care Talk. Boosting the number of enrollees by 20 million? Well, hold on to your hats because much of that growth will be unwound starting on April Fool's Day, a.k.a. John Driscoll Day, thanks to the Omnibus spending bill signed at the end of 2022. Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare, business, and policy, a talk-rated show that is definitely not unwinding. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. So, David, if
1: you were listening to your own podcast, you realize we were talking about Medicaid
0: expansion. What's the big deal here? I mean, I guess the question is, you know, why did Medicaid grow so much during the pandemic? There's the usual economic reasons, right? At the start of the pandemic, a lot of people lost their jobs. Uh, there was also Medicaid expansion in Nebraska, Missouri, Oklahoma. But the main reason, John, was the so-called continuous enrollment provisions in the Family First Coronavirus Response Act. Some people call it FIFRCA. I call it Fafrika, But it prevented the states from disenrolling anybody and for that, the state's got an extra 6.2 percentage point increase in the federal match rate to offset the higher costs.
1: Slow down, partner. So during the public health emergency where um, unemployment went through the roof and we needed to capture and cover as much of America as possible to protect the health of Americans,
0: what happened? Well, what happened is a lot of people enrolled in Medicaid, but then- Nobody disenrolled, so it's sort of like a black hole, right? Everybody came in, and nothing was coming out. Usually, there's a lot of churn in Medicaid. People come on, they come off, but there was just this big swelling, John. It's sort of like, you know, I won't give an anatomical analogy, but basically, well, stuff is coming in and it's not going out. So think about it
1: in terms of Medicaid, which is the public's program, the, the, the public health program that covers the poor. It's not Medicaid, which is Medicare, which is for the elderly. It's a state and federal program where the, the, the feds pay about half of it. And we've got about 90 million people in the country. I mean, it's a, in a, a, it, a massive number of people on Medicaid and just under 20 million. Or I think it's 19.8 of that 90 all joined during the public health emergency. And, and to your point, they have stayed enrolled there are typically pretty high barriers and regular uh, um, reconsiderations where you have to justify uh, your status on Medicaid, which is you get there for two reasons, because either you're, you're poor and, the, and you don't have any health insurance, or you're disabled. Uh, the disabled piece is a small percentage of the total. And so this massive uh, increase in Medicaid uh, and it's and it's true. I think it's a, it's a 50 state phenomenon has been this a, a pretty major investment in public health. And, it, and actually, to your point, lower churn, everybody covered. This is this is, I think, what I would consider a public health success. And frankly, when the economy craters and a lot of people are getting sick, I think it was really it was it was sound policy. It started under the Trump administration. And it stayed under Biden. This is a bipartisan, massive expansion of public health spend that was really an investment in the health of America at a time when we were all kind of worried. So that's how we got here, David.
0: What's happening now? So what's happened is, you know, as a result of this large increase of people on Medicaid, the total percentage of people uninsured in the country dropped down to 8.6%, which is the lowest it's been since the end of the Obama administration. So that's what's happened. But now what's going to happen is the public health emergency is still in effect. However, the omnibus spending bill at the end of 2022 decoupled this continuous enrollment provision from the public health emergency. So starting in April... All the people that were on Medicaid, now they are going to have to go through that process and be this sort of this redetermination about whether they remain eligible. And that could affect, John, about 5 to 15 million people. So it's a big deal. Well, I I think that that what's interesting
1: is I don't think anybody's paying attention to it. I mean, it's the great sort of uh, sucking sound of Medicaid shrink because we can't afford... I mean, what you need to do in a crisis isn't necessarily what you what you should be doing without a crisis. I mean, the whole notion of checking whether you're actually one is still eligible based on income or work status does make a lot of sense. That's the way Medicaid was set up. I mean, if we're, we're very close to the end of the public health emergency. And also to be fair, unemployment has fallen like a rock. We actually have a lot more jobs than people. There's plenty of uh, jobs available. I mean, it, it, if there's ever a time, I think the the health system is stable, while COVID COVID illnesses and deaths are up a little bit. It's a trivial fraction of it was of what it was in 2020. We're we're in a position, I think, to go back to sort of normal order here. But I but I think when you think, start thinking about numbers of like five to 15 million people losing health care coverage, it's sort of shocking that there hasn't been more coverage about it because it will. And just be
0: clear, it'll affect every state in the country. That's right, John. So I think the real question is, you know, is there going to be some sort of chaos as a result of all this happening at the beginning of April? Now, most people haven't been thinking about it. And even if health wonks like, uh, like us haven't been thinking about it. However, the states have started to think about it. And the way that the rule is designed is to try to avoid chaos. There is a transition period through the end of the year. The states continue to get uh, their boost in their so-called FMAP—that's the federal match rate—as well, just, just, long as just, they follow just certain like, rules. Let's
1: just, just, just to be clear, while there was like a twenty to thirty percent increase in the number of people covered in Medicaid um, by in in the states, the the increase of spending wasn't just on the spending for the new members. It was really a generalized ramp of the total. Total dollars available in state Medicaid budgets, and you know the feds can't afford that. That was simply to, I think, create a a clear on ramp for all states, red and blue, to get more money. But whatever you call it, with your fancy highfalutin government acronyms, David, um, it was a lot of money, and it's now going to be reduced. I I think as of April one, correct?
0: It is, but John, the match rate uh, this uh, this. Boost of the six point two percentage points. It declines over time, first to five and a half and then down to one and a half percent toward the end of the year for states that that take steps uh, in order to make the transition uh, less chaotic. So there's a few things that are being done, John. Um, one is, you know, medi- people on Medicaid tend to move around a fair amount. and so states are making plans in order to update the mailing addresses. Taking longer to do the reprocessing, following up with enrollees if they don't take action, and you know we're in the information era now, John. So a lot can be done uh, to streamline the renewal process. Now you you made fun of me last time, John, when we talked in general. Latin. I make I make fun of you because you like you want to live in the paper era. Well, I want to live in the Latin era, John, because we talked about locum tenens last time. I, I got a new one for you, John. Ex party renewals. Ex parte. You, like <laughs> you know you sound like. Uh, you sound like the guys from uh, Buckaroo Bonsai, you know, John Big Boutet or Big Booty. So I will call it ex-party Focus. renewals. Focus. And what that means, John, is means one party doing something. So that means instead of hauling somebody in and making them share all their tax returns and W-2 documents and so on, you can verify eligibility through data sources they already have available, like the state wage databases and disability information. And actually, John, 11 states already do more than half of the renewals in this ex-party Ex parte way, but another eleven states do less than a quarter that way. So it's much more hassle for uh, the recipients. And then I know you don't like uh, the magi, John, but the Maggie modified those. You've got some people that are that get most. I'm people- a big fan of the magi. Okay, so that's modified adjustable Not the gross magi. In- <laughs> yeah, modified adjustable gross income. What that means is that's that's the income test for Medicaid. It's income. Yeah, it's so income. most people get Why do you, uh, Medicaid based on that.
1: The yeah, but, you know, do you know? there's six do you have states. a highfalutin?
0: Do you have a Latin word for way too complicated? <laughs> there, I, I don't have it, John. I have to look it up. For, well, I'll, I'll bring it for the next episode, John. I'd just like to introduce one concept per, uh, per session here. But there are six states that actually do more than half of the non income uh, Medicaid eligibility renewals based on ex party approaches. And it's interesting, John, of those six states, you know, some like you would expect like Massachusetts and Colorado are there, but also Florida and Indiana, which shows that this is actually, it's not bipartisan, but more of kind of a technocratic approach. If you can do it, it's more efficient for the state and you save money, you're more accurate, you're not wasting money. Um, and so I think there's opportunities there. Now they can also get help, John, from others, the states can, and some are planning to mm-hmm. do so. Managed care organizations, community health centers, marketplace, sisters, and even, you know, others uh, can sisters, help out. Anybody can help.
1: Did you just say sisters should be helping? Sisters and brothers? Like, what are you talking about? Us uh, sisters. You're losing track here. Yeah. sisters us uh, sisters. Your like, sisters, your brothers.
0: I don't have a sister, injury, John. Injury, Medicaid, a navigator. But John, you know, you could help out too. You could stand out in the corner and tell, hey, you need a Medicaid redetermination. You could do it, John. Why don't you I sign think, up with one I of the states? What's
1: What's what's really important for people to think about while you're kind of meandering around the, the stage here on this, on who can help is that there are a lot of people who are, are poor, are unemployed, um, who aren't disabled, who are going to be surprised by this, by this abrupt redetermined process. I mean, only 35 of the 50 states have actually published a plan. This is going to start on April 1st. And I think that one of the things we want to call out is, is for managed care organizations or doctor's offices or whomever that community, community health centers, hospitals, though those groups that are often, um, that have historically struggled with making sure that the services they're providing get covered, um, which haven't had to worry about that, honestly, for the last few years, really lean into this process, um, which I mean, the, I think I think the Latin word for confusing is confundo, which is you've you, you've 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 confused a great deal of people here, but David, but I think that the the simple fact is that third parties, parties other than the, the covered eligible, a mother with kids or an unemployed uh, 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 person, a kids on their own, um, can actually help make sure that. Those members who should be on this, on Medicaid get a chance to stay on it by making sure they lean in quickly to help those redeterminations for folks who have in many cases ongoing illness, and the reason they're on Medicaid and getting care is because they need to. And I think that this 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 is coming up very quickly. It's a very big change, and people can get help. And that that's really, I think, the the critical. Public health message, even though you've confunded a lot.
0: Yeah, well, John, I don't, I know my Latin, but I, I don't know my conjugation, so I won't try to do the uh, the past tense on that one. But I will say you're right. I think you put your finger on how the states beyond kind of the bureaucracy can can deal with this. There's a lot of others that are interested parties, these third parties, as you say, who want to get want to get paid, want people to have access. Uh, you named a, a number of those, and. Some many of the people who are who are going to have their redetermination done can stay on Medicaid. Others will be in the Obamacare exchanges, uh, or may have other coverage, even employer coverage that they're eligible for, and they're going to need some help with the navigation to figure out what's the right approach. On those Obamacare exchanges, many even if they can't um, get uh, they they they're not eligible for Medicaid, they'll have significant well, they may, s- yeah. They may subsidies. not
1: realize they may not realize that they still may qualify for subsidies. In Obamacare, you know, stepping back a second, we know that continuous insurance coverage leads to more conti- continuity of care and better care. And it is p- particularly essential for vulnerable populations and people who are poor are disproportionately more likely to get sick and not necessarily get care. Um, to make sure they're continuously covered will create, I think, better health access and better health outcomes. So calling out the opportunity with the exchanges where tons of subsidies actually are available still is a really important recommendation, David. Finally, you came up with something that's simple and clear, which I
0: appreciate. Well, good, John. Well, that's it for yet another episode of Care Talk. We may not be continuous, but we are consistent here every week. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group.
1: And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. If you like what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe on your favorite service.